I would have bet every dollar I had that Joseph was going to come on stage. I'm, I am in shock that he did not come up on that. When he hit that first step, I thought, mm, he's coming up here. He's got no fear of that. That is for sure. What a blessing to have those kids. Wasn't that cool to see all those kids? I love it. And remember, some of you were here for this. Remember like five years ago, like five years ago, that would have been all girls. It would have been just this slew of girls. And we still have some of those girls. They're just sitting in the, we've got mo- a lot of them. They're just sitting as youth now, but it would have been all girls. And now do you see all them boys? Miss Brittany's going to have to take another approach to children's ministry because it's going to be a, it's a whole new ball, ball game now that the boys are rolling through there. So I love it. It's a wonderful thing. Turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 13. We are going to read this, this passage, uh, uh, Acts 13, 1 through 27. Uh, we're going to read it in its entirety, but we're going to actually be looking at this passage over the course of the next two weeks. There is so much in here and, and so much we need to take away from this passage that trying to do it all in one time um, is going to leave you guys very hungry and cranky with me. So instead, we're going to break this up over a, a couple of, uh, of different... Um, services together. That way we don't, we can take in as much as we can and make sure uh, that we understand what God is communicating through this passage. So with that in mind, you know, I, I, when I read this passage, I was kind of reminded of um, taking a trip, going on a journey. And I'll, don't worry, I'll explain it here in a second. And, and you know, we grew up back in the 80s, and the 90s, and, and you younger kids may find this amazing and shocking, but, but it was not normal for us to have DVD players and, and phones and the internet just at our fingertips in those times. And so a lot of times we had to, to figure out ways to kind of entertain ourselves, um, whether that be uh, playing, you know, looking for license plates or just looking at different things and, and just anything to entertain yourself, even if maybe that entertaining yourself was getting into a fight with your sibling. You know, anything to pass the time really is, is, is pretty good to go. Uh, my wife, she, she did not take a lot of trips growing up. She traveled a little bit, but her family, she has said many times that she only remembers one time in her childhood did, did my wife go on a vacation. Uh, her dad had a job that, that kind of demanded that he be home a lot. And so they didn't travel a lot. That was just not something they did. Um, and when they did travel, they almost always went to visit family. They would either go Liz's grandparents. One grandparent lived in Southern Illinois. The other grandparent lived in uh, Southern Missouri in Springfield, Missouri. And so more often than not, that was kind of the trips they took. And there was just certain times in the year where they knew they were going to go down and visit their grandparents in Southern Missouri. And there were just certain times of the year where they knew that they would visit their grandparents in Southern Illinois. Now from Midway, uh, Missouri, which is just outside of Columbia, to Thompsonville, Illinois, which is where her grandparents lived, it would have been roughly about a four to five hour drive. So four to five hours, you know, maybe a stop or two for, for food or at a rest stop um, with four kids in the vehicle. It would take somewhere about, about four to five hours. And this is four to five hours without DVD players, without cell phones, without anything like that. And I think even for a portion of that in the 80s, the speed limit was only 55, not 70. And so it took even longer to get to grandma's house. Well, with four kids in the car, I think you can imagine that it didn't, that after a while, kids would get bored. 
and that they would get restless. And, it was un- and it's undoubted that they would hear things like, are we there yet? And knowing my father-in-law, he was not the type of person that would say, we're going to be there in a couple hours. We're going to be there in this many minutes. We're going to do that. He would just be the one that would just say, well, we're closer now than we were before and not help them out at all with that question. But my wife, and, and we've talked about this before because the first time we started making that trip to her seat, visit her grandparents, um, my wife started to learn what she could kind of look for in order to know how far they were, whether they were getting close and, and could kind of gauge, even though she may not have had the clock handy and even though she may not have been getting good answers from her father, she began to kind of figure out what signs and what things were along the way that told her how close she was to grandma and grandpa's house. The first and probably the most obvious was that they had to pass, pass through St. Louis, Missouri. And so as you would pass through St. Louis, Missouri, you would immediately see right before you cross the river from Missouri into Illinois, you would see the arch. And it's hard to miss. It's a cool thing if you've not seen it before. And so a game kind of got played out of that. And the kids would all, as they began to get into St. Louis and began to get into the city, and they started to notice that they were, they were not in kind of rural uh, Missouri anymore and that things, the airport would show up and all that stuff, that all the kids would start looking for the arch. And everybody in the family would begin to look at the horizon and, and wait to, to be the first person to yell out, I see the arch and get that kind of bragging rights that came with that. Now, let me tell you, when you are traveling with your current fiance and you are going for the very first time and out of nowhere in downtown St. Louis, your, your current, your future, you know, future wife fiance screams at you, I see the arch, you almost wrecked the car. I was not prepared for that. She scared me half to death. Once you cross the bridge and get over into Illinois, you make your way to what would be the second sign. And the second sign for her was found in Mount Vernon, Illinois. And in Mount Vernon, Illinois, just when you get onto I-57 and kick south, Rodney would know what, what all I'm talking about here, you would be able to see a large water tower next to a lake. And that water tower would read Rend Lake. And Liz and her family knew that when they saw the water tower for Rend Lake, that they were close that they were really close. In fact, they were within an hour of arriving at grandma and grandpa's house. And for that reason, once again, they would begin to shout, Ren Lake, Ren Lake, Ren Lake, which again is quite startling if you're not prepared for your future wife to start shouting random things in the car. Um, my wife scares me a lot. I'm not going to lie. And that always told them that they were just minutes away, that they were coming right up on their final destination. Now, I tell you this story because that's what's happening in our passage today. Jesus is with his disciples, and he is very much so coming up on the very end of his ministry. In fact, Jesus' public ministry is now already over. When we closed out our time in the temple and the discourses with all the, the Pharisees and the scribes, when we talked about the widow's um, might and, and all the things that went there, those were the, the last days and the last moments of Jesus' public ministry. At this point, Jesus is now away from the crowds, away from the public, and he is with his disciples. And this is pretty much what we are going to have with Jesus right up until his betrayal, his crucifixion, and his resurrection. 
And so, Jesus takes time to begin to speak to his disciples about what to expect and about what to look for and how to respond when he passes or when he goes on to be with the Lord. In Acts chapter 13, let us read together. And I'm going to read from verse 1 all the way through verse 27. But we're not going to cover all of those verses today. If you're able to to stand, please stand for the reading of God's Word. I'm in Acts, so that's not going to be very helpful. My pages are stuck together. That's what I said. That's what I mean. I was in Acts. There we go. Let's read. For as he, he being Jesus, was going out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, behold, what wonderful stones and what a wonderful building. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left upon another that will not be turned down. As he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew were questioning him privately. Tell us, what will these things be and what will be the sign when all things are going to be fulfilled? Jesus began to say to them, see to it that no one misleads you. Many will come in my name saying, I am he and many and they will mislead many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be frightened. Those things must take place. But that is not yet the end. For nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will also be famines. These things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. But be on your guard. For they will deliver you to the court and you will be flogged in the synagogues and you will stand before governors and kings and for my sake and as a testimony to them. The gospel must first be preached to all the nations. When they arrest you and hand you over, do not worry beforehand about what you are going to say. But say whatever is given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but it is the Holy Spirit. Brothers will betray brothers, and a father his child, and children will rise up against their parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by all because of my name, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where it should not be, let the reader understand. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains, and the one who is on the housetop must not go down or go in or get anything out of the house. And the one who is in the field must not turn back to get his coat. But woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days. But pray that it may not happen in winter. For those who for those days will be a time of tribulation such as not occurred since the beginning of creation, which God created until now and never will. Unless the Lord had shortened those days, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then, if anyone says to you, Behold, here is the Christ, or behold, he is there, do not believe him. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show signs and wonders in order to lead astray, if it were possible for the elect. But take heed. Behold, 
I have told you everything in advance. But in those days, after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers that are in heaven will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send forth the angels and he will gather together his elect from the four winds, from the farthest ends of the earth to the farthest ends of heaven. Please be seated. Now again, take comfort, we're not going through all of that today. This passage, I have to admit, is a little scary. And we hear things and read, um, read image, you know, are, are given images through the words that, that um, are a little frightening. We could spend a lifetime trying to guess what everything means and how everything will be fulfilled. We'll try to, to look throughout the course of history and say, well, is this, this what he's talking about here? And is that what he's talking about there? Has this yet to come or has this already been there? However, within this passage, Jesus is sending a very clear message to both his disciples and to us. In fact, multiple times in the passage, he says the same thing in, in a few different ways. And that same thing is just this. Watch out. Be on your guard. Pay attention. Be aware of what is happening around you. And do not be afraid. Let me show you. Our first watch out is found in the very beginning of our passage in our time today. In fact, it is found, um, found right there in the beginning in verses 4 and 5 and through that, th through that passage. He says, he says this, he, Jesus says to them, see to it that no one misleads you. That see to it is, is intended and in different translations it'll say, watch out, be aware. Watch out that no one deceives you. So when we start thinking about signs and, and road markers, when we start looking for the arch and the wren lake uh, of God and, and the fulfillment of all things in Christ's return, we have to understand that there are going to be things that are seen and said and, and, and even taught and tried to be understood that are actually going to confuse us and possibly even lead us astray. In the passage... Jesus mentions two things, and these are, are important for us to kind of take a look at today. The first of those two is this. He mentions that people will claim that they are the Christ or that, they've already, that he's already come back. We see this in other places as well. In Luke chapter 17, starting in verse 22, it says that Jesus said to his disciples, The day will come when you are long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not be able to see it. They will say to you, look here, look, look there. But do not go away and do not run after them. For just as the lightning, um, when it flashes out of one part of the sky, it shines to the other part of the sky. So will it be when the Son of Man comes on that day. See, there's going to be people that are going to try to convince you that, that Jesus has, has already come or that, that he is right here and it's this person or it is that person that, that, he, that somehow Jesus came in in a stealthy manner, that he was quiet or he was subtle and that only a few people are aware of this. And Jesus says, make no mistake, when I come back, you'll know. 
If we think of the analogy that he gives in, 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 uh, in Luke chapter 17, he, he talks about a lightning bolt that goes from one corner of the sky to the other. And I don't know about you, but, but I remember seeing some pretty awesome lightning storms even just a, a few months ago. And when that lightning would flash in that way, the entire house would suddenly light up like, like nothing that our light bulbs could do. There was no mistake that lightning had flashed around our home and, and we all just kind of waited for that moment until the thunder began to roll and we could kind of know how close the storm was. We don't miss it unless we close our eyes. And so for that, and even then, we probably still see the flash even through our closed eyes. And so too will the return of Christ. Don't let people trick you into thinking that it hasn't come. Second, and probably more relevant and maybe a little bit more um, uh, in our faces today is their talk of wars and natural disasters. We have seen throughout history and even throughout our own life, lifetime, people who have wanted to speculate about Christ's return based on wars and, and political things and natural disasters. Whenever there is an earthquake or a typhoon, there are, are television evangelists and other people that I would just call fools who want to tell us that this is God doing this and this is God doing that. They look at wars and they want to tell you, well, this is God doing this and this is God doing that. However, Jesus himself says of these things that they do not mean that the end is near. Read it again. This is not the, the sign that, that Christ is, is necessarily going to come back any day. In fact, it, what he's actually saying is that, that this is only the very, very beginning of what we would call the end. Some of those who have not placed their faith in Christ would look at the situations in the world today, would look at the, the wars and would look at, at, at the division and the infighting and look at natural disasters and say, things are so bad and things have gotten, seem to get worse and worse and worse. I don't think Christ is ever coming back. That we just need to deal with what we have around us and that they would even call those who have put their hope and trust in Christ to give up. And to, to give up all hope and to begin to live as the world lives. But Peter helped, gives us perspective as we think about these wars and rumors and wars. As we think about these natural disasters, earthquakes, floods, and typhoons. In 2 Peter chapter 3, he says this, Know this, first of all, that in the last day that there will be mock, that mockers who will come with their mocking following after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fa our fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. There's going to be people that look at the world that we are in and saying, where is your God? What is he waiting for? Maybe it's time we just do it on our own. Jesus' words in this passage are a call to us and a reminder that we should hold fast to the Scriptures. That we could, should trust in what the Bible actually says and not waste our time speculating or ch chasing after new teachings. But the Word is true. And no matter what people say and no matter how crazy the world gets, we can hold to the Word and trust that His promises are sure. 
is a reminder that we do not need to be afraid of all the crazy stuff happening around us. It doesn't matter how many executive orders have been issued in the last week. It doesn't matter what our relations are, either with other, other nations or other cultures, or even with, between other races in our own home. In the midst of all the confusion, wars, and natural disasters, we can take, take courage knowing that God will not allow His people to slip through His hands. And so by all means, look out. Watch out. But do not be deceived. Christ is coming. And we have nothing to be afraid of. This leads us to our second watch out statement of today. We're going to go through about three of these over the course of the next two weeks. Two weeks. The second watch out statement comes in verse 9. If you'll go to verse 9, it says this, But be on your guard, for they will deliver you to the courts, and you will be flogged by the synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them. This warning is very different from the first. Instead of looking at the world around to see if the end is near and trying to, to understand where they necessarily are on the, on the road by the outside signs, there is a call to be on the lookout, to be on the lookout for what is going to happen to you. The text says that we, those who are believers in Christ, will be handed over, they will be beaten, they will be put on trial, that we will be betrayed, hated, and even put to death. If you look at the text, you'll notice that there are three different groups of people that are mentioned. There's the family, there are the Jews, and there's also the government leaders, which should also be understood as the Gentiles. Jesus is warning his followers that persecution will come from within our own families. That if you are a follower of Jesus, and if you, really, if you really believe and you are really living and following after Jesus, that that will create conflict within your own homes. And that may be your nuclear family, that may be your extended family, that may be cousins and all, all those type of things. He's not telling you, look out for it in the sense of go out and find conflict. He's just telling you, if you are going to be a follower of Jesus, conflict will come up. Not only will it come up from our own families and within our own homes, but it will come from our neighbors and our community. We live in this wonderful place called Elizabethtown, Kentucky, and for the most part, there's a church on every corner and a thousand ways you can worship in every week, and that's great and good, but make no mistake, even here we will begin to see the tide turn, and Christianity will eventually come out of fashion. If you don't believe me, talk to some of our high school and middle school kids. Talk to those that are attending university. As they see the culture within their own schools and on their own campuses begin to change. And to be a Christian who believes the Bible and follows the Bible and trusts the Bible can very quickly make you an outcast even within your own friend groups. It will even come from people different than us. 
the Gentile leaders that Jesus warns his followers about, reminds us that there will be Gentiles throughout, even the book of Acts as we look into it, who will come after the, the Christians, come after people like Paul, and seek to have them silenced, whether that be through stoning or execution. This even includes the systematic persecution by the government. For the most part, we see this even within the book of Acts. It is not something that we had to wait to see happen. And even as we speak now, while we may not face intense persecution in our lives, we have our brothers and sisters in Christ throughout the globe that are experiencing these very things. Those who have become followers of Jesus, and because of that, they have been ostracized from their families. Those who, because they have become followers of Jesus, have to be careful about how they worship and when, even going so far as to constantly change the place and time where they worship so that their neighbors do not figure out what they are doing and report them. Even now we know that, that there are certain places in the world that, that an American Christian cannot go, cannot move there, cannot visit there, because the government that is there does not want Christian missionaries coming and telling their people about Jesus. Jesus is telling them that if you follow me, you will be persecuted. It's not an if. Not if you follow me, you might get persecuted. It is you will get persecuted. That you should expect it. That you should be prepared for it. And that even that is not necessarily a sign that the end is near. In the midst of this, Jesus does give us some encouragement, which I'm sure you're all very glad for because such a warm, fuzzy thing to close a message on. The first thing he says, and this may not sound like an encouragement, but when you think about it, it is. The first thing he says is, this is necessary. It is a the persecution and, the, and some of the challenges that we are going to face as followers of Jesus, that it is a necessary thing. Now, in the sense, it's not, it means necessary in a good way. We look consistently in the New Testament that, that it, throughout the history of the church, God has used persecution and even martyrs to spread the gospel in unbelievable ways. That through Paul's own life and Paul's own ministry, despite being persecuted and stoned and whipped and shipwrecked and all those things, he was able to bring the gospel to so many places. Even in modern times, we can see how God uses persecution and martyrdom and those who, will be, who are willing to give everything they have, even their own life, to see the gospel go out, see change happen. I'm reminded of Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott was a young man who, who God had burdened to share the gospel. And so he went to the, the Uwaka people of Ecuador. The Uwaka people of, of, of Ecuador had, had no contact with the outside world. They were known as literally being cannibals and, and completely cut off from society. And yet Jim Elliott and a crew of other people went there to try to witness to these, these people in Ecuador. When he did so, he found them, and they killed him, and he was never heard from again. But Jim's death led many other people to want to go to these people in Ecuador 
to share the gospel. The leader of that being his wife. Those other people began going to this tribe in Ecuador, eventually winning that tribe for Christ. Jim Elliot is most famous for being quoted with these words. It is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. When Jesus says it is necessary for these to happen because it is through persecution and even martyrdom that the gospel goes forth, we are reminded that our lives are not our own and that we should serve a greater purpose and a greater calling. And that is the kingdom of God. Not only are we reminded through this passage that it is necessary and good that these things happen for the furthering of the gospel, but also that even in the midst of it, we don't need to worry. Specifically worry about what we say and what we do when the persecution comes. How do we handle it? Are we going to fall flat on our face? Are we going to mess up? Are we going to either incur punishment for something that, that, that we didn't need to? Or are we going to fail to make the gospel known even when it comes? Jesus reminds his followers that when Jesus would ascend, that he would return to them with the, the power of the Holy Spirit. That he would send his spirit to be with them and to guide them and to give them the words they need. John 16, 7 begins by saying this. He says, but I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. All this means is that persecution is not necessarily a sign that the end is near, but rather it is a sign that you are actually a follower of Jesus. And that God will use every part of your life, even those bad bits, to further his kingdom. And that in the midst of all that, in the midst of the persecution, in the midst of the trials, in the midst of the struggles that we may face as followers of Jesus that he will give us his spirit. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, we will be able to carry on. We will be able to go forth and we will be able to make the gospel known to everyone who will listen. When we think about how the end is going to come about, it may be easy for us to get bogged down in the signs and the wonders and the speculation. But in our passage today, Jesus reminds us of two very critical things when we think of the end. Number one is place your faith firmly in Christ. Place your faith firmly in Christ and don't let anybody try to, to distract you or deter you from to one way or the other to say, no, no, it's over here. No, no, it's over there. I've got the secret. No, I've got the secret. I've got the secret code. No, I've got the secret code. Jesus says, trust in me. Put your faith firmly in Christ and no matter what happens, trust that I will accomplish my work. And the second thing is to lead others to do the same. It doesn't, uh, this is an interesting reality that something that, that Jesus points out here is it doesn't matter when the kingdom is filled. It doesn't matter when I'm going to return. What matters is, are you going to be found faithful? 
Are you going to be telling people about Jesus? Are you going to be zooming in on, on our community and on your people group and on your friends and on your family? Are you going to be focusing in on the people in your life and the people around you that need to hear that gospel? And whether Christ comes back today or Christ comes back 500 years from now, we need to make sure that we are found faithful and not allow other things and other ideas and other priorities deter us from the fact that God is calling us to trust in him and to call others to follow him as well. It is my hope and my prayer that we busy ourselves with knowing Christ and calling others to know him, know him as well instead of trying to figure out what will happen next. If you are with us today and, and you want to know, like maybe you can kind of tell or you kind of get that feeling like something is not quite right in your life and you're looking at the world and you're realizing something is not quite right with the world and, and you're kind of wanting to know, is it going to all be okay in the end? I'm here to tell you, yes, it is. And we get to the happy ending next week. Take courage in that. But I want you to hear what, what is being said in this passage today. There is going to, we, we are not surprised that there are going to be bad things. We see the bad things. We feel the bad things. We know the bad things are out there even today. And all of those bad things should right now not be pointing us to, ooh, I wonder when he's coming back, but pointing us to, ooh, I better place my faith in him today. Now, we explain that at our church a, a very a special way. We're going to bring a picture up here in just a second. And the way we kind of explain what it means to put our hope and our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ is by starting off by believing that God has a design. That we believe that God created all things. Genesis 1-1 says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And when he did that, he had a plan and he had a purpose. Our whole passage today is Jesus revealing to his disciples, listen, God has a plan and a purpose for all of creation. And that means that you have a plan and a purpose and that you are made a part of a plan and a purpose. However, we see that in God's design. However, it takes nothing on our part to look at the world and to look inside of ourselves and realize that we aren't really doing God's design and God's purpose. There's something, uh, something amuck in us. We feel it. We know that, that something's just not quite right. That sometimes we don't do what we're supposed to do. We don't think how we're supposed to think. There's just kind of something not right about us. And then we look at the world and it doesn't, it's not hard. Oh, you know, in our day and age, it's not hard to look at the world or to scroll social media and be like, man, people are not right. And that realization is that's because we depart from God's design and that's called sin. All of us choose to seek our own design and not seek the, the design that we have from our designer. And what we realize is when we, when we go after, when we depart from God's design to seek our own design, we find ourselves in a place of brokenness. In my house, we have a little block on our counter that's got knives in it. And it's got big knives, and it's got steak knives, it's got all these different kinds of knives. And if I took one of those knives and I said, you know what, I'm going to take this knife and I'm going to go outside and I'm going to chop down a tree. It's sharp. Surely it'll work. Some of you who don't think I'm that intelligent probably think I would actually try that. 
And if I go out to my yard and I seek to chop down the tree with that, that steak knife and I begin to swing, what I'm going to do is ultimately break that knife. Because that knife was never designed to chop down a tree. And that's what happens in our lives as well. God has made us with purpose on purpose. But we try to create our own purpose and all we end up doing is finding ourselves in a place of brokenness. And no matter how hard we work, no matter how good we are, no matter how much money we give away or how many good things we might do, we can't escape that brokenness from our brokenness. And that's why Christ came. We see the gospel there and the gospel is the truth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that He came and lived a perfect life to die on the cross for our sins. And that He didn't stay dead, but He rose again three days later. And if we want to escape our brokenness, what we need to do is we need to repent and believe in the gospel. That the words that Jesus says are true, that he is who he said he is, and that he did what he came to do, and that indeed he is alive even today. And if we believe all of that is true about Jesus, and if we turn from our sin and our brokenness and make Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior, we will be saved. And through the gospel, we'll be able to recover and pursue God's design for our life again. It's in that area of recovering and pursue that Jesus tells us to watch out. To be aware, to be on your guard. Because God is doing something. And if you are in Christ, God is calling you to be a part of what he is doing. But there'll be a day where if you choose to stay in your brokenness, that you will not have a chance to, to repent and believe. And so we're calling you today. If you are here today and you're looking at that circle that says brokenness and you're saying, yeah, that's definitely where I am. And I am definitely tired of it. And I'm ready to, to get out of, of this brokenness. Then we want to call you today to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And to repent and to call out and to turn to Jesus and make him the Lord of your life. And if that is your heart and your desire today, we're going to sing here for a little bit. And at the end of our service, I'm going to stand up front and I want to talk to you about, about making Christ your Lord. Because let me tell you something, when you see all the stuff going on around us and you think, man, surely the end is near. There's one group of people that need to be very worried about that, that fact. But there's one group of people who Christ consistently said, don't be afraid. And that's the people who have already placed their hope and trust in him. And we want you to experience that confidence even today. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we thank you so much for your word. God, we praise you that, that you constantly give us this call and this reminder that we do not need to be afraid that you are in control and that all things are happening in you and through you and that, God, you are working through all of these things for your kingdom and for your glory. God, we thank you for the reminder that we don't need to live every day in fear because it looks like things may be wrapping up on this world. But, God, that you've told us quite the opposite, that we, you told us to, to watch out and to get about your work to believe and put our hope and trust in you. And then to, because of our belief, tell other people and call other people to hear the good news of the gospel and be saved. 
Lord, I pray that everyone in this room will first place their hope and their trust in Christ and that they will believe in Jesus. But God, also, that they would, be, that they would get about the work and that we might start sharing the good news of Christ with everyone we know so that all may live and walk in the same confidence we have in you. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.